that was. Yeah, it was really pretty much on all the points. I think that was that was bad. But anyway, no, I mean, it was really good. <laughs> Trust me, you don't want to see the. I need. I need to. I need to do some yoga lessons, maybe or something. You've tuned into another episode of my Sedwa story, brought to you by Sedwa Talks. The show helps you learn the financial habits, hacks, and attitudes of people in the Middle East to help you better manage your financial well-being. Hi, my name is uh, Eli Irani. I'm a personal finance enthusiast, and I'm also a uh, administrator and moderator of the Simply FI Financial Independence Group, Facebook group, uh, which is the local chapter of Bogleheads and Choose FI in the UAE. I am also blogging nowadays on my own blog, which is www.wiseinvestor.me. And I've been on the My Sarawa Story to discuss my views and my, my take on the rules of wealth that we should have possibly learned in, the, in school. And I would highly recommend that you tune into the show. Ellie, welcome to my Sarah story. It's good to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. Ellie, you call yourself a investing enthusiast. That's Why right. is that? Yeah. Why is that? Well, because I'm not an investment professional by mm-hmm. by by trade, if you mm-hmm. will. So actually, I'm, a, an, I'm an IT professional by mm-hmm. trade, and I've been doing this for like 20 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so investing is something that I do on the side that I just learned a few years ago. And I basically, I started doing that like a few years ago. How do you, how do you learn and how do you teach yourself and educate yourself about investing? Well, yeah, uh, I'm uh, basically, I started reading about the topic because I wanted to improve my financial uh, situation, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, that led me to, uh, to read and research that. Uh, it started as a research on the internet, and then I started with a with a book. Then that led me to reading another book and what yet book? another. I started with a, a pretty a, a classic book, I would say. Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah, I knew you were going right. to say that. <laughs> you know, if, right. A few of our guests have actually mentioned the book on the show. It is a classic. Uh, it, it is, but uh, to be quite honest, uh, I mean, apart from this book from uh, Robert Kiyosaki, mm-hmm. I I wasn't quite impressed with his other books, though. So he has multiple other books that followed Rich Bad, Rich Dad Poor Dad, but they were they, they weren't quite a. Uh, I mean, there I mean, the aha moment. I got that aha moment from from reading his book. Mm. I mean, his uh, classic, which is Rich Dad Poor Dad. The others, I felt they were more like you know, let's try to expand his brand, and I honestly think that he went a little bit overboard. So I didn't see much value in the other. In the, mm-hmm. I, I read quite a few of his other books, but they weren't as valuable as the first one. Did they follow the same principles though? Uh, yes and no. Uh, they, were, they were more like, I think the, his other books were more into, like it was like getting into specifics without really getting into specifics. So for me, I found really no value in, in that. Interesting. But yet the first book is in itself, I think, immensely valuable enough um, it is. that, you know, everyone's out here talking about it. Sure. And I, but basically the book in a nutshell is basically don't buy liabilities, buy yourself assets that would appreciate or that will get you some cash flow over time. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much the, 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 the main idea of, of the book. So once you grasp that idea, 
that's pretty much it. And I think one more thing the book does is it goes into clarifying what is an asset. Because you may state the statement, um, but to the average Joe, they may not know what an asset or a liability is. Yes, yeah, he actually goes uh, to say that your house is not actually an asset, which was quite surprising to me at first, because mm. I mean, we were all taught and, you know, we all, I mean, we have been told and we, we all believe that a, a house is an asset. Well, it could be an asset if this is a rental property, then yes, it is an asset that is producing some cash flow. But it's, if it's just the house that you're living in, to Robert, or at least, I mean, I, I, I guess what, where he's going uh, with this. So basically for him, it's, it's a liability because this is not a revenue producing uh, asset, if you will. So therefore, it's a liability because it might appreciate or depreciate. You, mm. you can never tell. And then it's not producing any cash flow. So therefore, for him, it's a liability and, and not an asset. So therefore, according to his definition, an asset is something that generates an income for you. That's correct. correct. Yes. Interesting. And how did that resonate to you as someone who you explained was otherwise not so financially literate before reading the book? Was it shocking? Uh, well, for me, it was, as I said, it was an aha moment for me because... Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was basically uh, I grew up in a family that was like you know you have to uh, get good grades and then after you get the the good grades you get to get a new a good job and then you know it's like living paycheck to paycheck so that was was my idea of building wealth so it's like get a better job mm -hmm. get a higher income and whatnot but I had zero um, exposure to having or owning assets that mm -hmm. would produce passive income, which is an income that you don't really have to uh, work for in a sense that you don't have to trade your time for money. Mm -hmm. So that was the biggest aha for me from, from this book. And the thing is, that's actually a very common way of looking at how to build your wealth, especially out here in the Middle East and in Asian countries, I believe. Definitely with me growing up, the narrative was also get good grades, get a job. And so that definitely resonates with me as well. And I believe Robert calls it the rat race. Correct. That's. I mean, it's not just Robert that calls it the, the rat race. Uh, I mean, that there's a whole a movement, like mm -hmm. the financial independence movement, that calls that calls that the rat race, which mm -hmm. is like we're running on a treadmill mm -hmm. uh, that with no clear, um, uh, basically with with no, uh, let's say, there's no out. There, mm -hmm. There's no way out of this uh, of this rat race or or a hedonic treadmill, if you will. So if someone feels like they're on a rat race, meaning that they're stuck living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. That's right. What would you tell them is a good next step to pull themselves out of it? What, what can the average Joe do about it? Well, the basic, I would say the building blocks of growing wealth is basically a it's it's basically a three uh, a three legged table, if you will. Mm -hmm. So number one, you have to basically live below your means. So that means you have to increase your income, lower your expenses, and then you have a gap between your income and your expenses. And then you invest that gap in something that produces uh, income or that appreciates with time. So but that is the mm -hmm. uh, the uh, 
But in, in a nutshell, mm-hmm. how to build wealth over the long term. But even the topic of what to invest that savings in is up for debate. Like people are in all kinds of camps. There are some people who are vouching for crypto these days, otherwise more traditionally stocks or even ETFs or even property. I'm sure our parents would have thought, yep, save that money, put a down payment and buy a property, which they believe would be an asset. But as we discussed earlier, is actually a liability. Well, again, it could be an asset if you're buying property to rent it out. So then, mm. then definitely it becomes an asset. So actually, there are three uh, major ways of, of building wealth and mm-hmm. making money in a, in a passive way, as we explained earlier. And one of them would be to, uh, to buy or to basically to invest in property uh, to rent them out. And then the second option would be to invest in the financial markets. And I'm just calling them financial markets from now, for, for now because there are multiple things or multiple uh, investments you can make in the financial markets. There are stocks, bonds, cryptocurrencies, and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And the third option is, of course, building a business and ideally a self-sustaining business in a sense that you don't really have to trade your time uh, for that particular business. Mm. For, for example, if you're a... Uh, uh, I mean, if if you have to put a lot of work and effort into that business, mm-hmm. well, initially you always have to. But I mean, if you continuously do that, that doesn't become a passive income. So it's like you're you're entering in the entrepreneurship thing, but it's no longer. So it still requires your time. So therefore, it's not entirely passive. So the ideal the ideal scenario for building passive income from businesses is to may basically create a business, maybe sell it out, or at least reach a point where the business is pretty much self-sustaining so that you don't mm. have to trade your time for, for money. Because but, otherwise uh, it, rema- it, it, it becomes another, uh, another job, except yeah. that you're your own boss, if you know what I mean. And I believe that until the time you get to that point, you are even putting sometimes even more hours than you would a nine to five. Definitely, you know, people glorify being an entrepreneur, saying they work late hours, especially when it comes to tech and tech entrepreneurship. So at what point do you think someone who wants to go down the entrepreneur route would realize, okay, is this worth the time that I'm getting in, particularly if they may be spending more time not earning as much as they would in a traditional job meanwhile? That's a that's a difficult one because I mean we always uh, hear about the entrepreneurs that actually made it, but we don't hear about the ninety eight percent or so that do not make it. So it's a difficult thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean there's uh, the the sky is the, is the limit if you if you succeed, but then again if you don't, it, it's not it's not something for 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 everyone. So uh, that's why my preferred way of investing would be. Uh, would be the investing in the stock market or in the financial markets in, in general. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it has a low entry point and that doesn't require uh, the entrepreneurship skills that not everyone uh, has. So that's that's an important point. So that's why, to get back to your initial question, what would the average Joe do? For me, the average Joe could basically save in a sense that mm-hmm. once, once the average Joe is... Uh, is earning and spending less than he earns, he could invest that gap into the financial markets. And then again, there's another plethora of options available there like crypto and whatnot. And so here it's important to uh, to go for something that actually works. So mm. therefore, what I would advise, I mean, advice is a big word, but-, but We do not I give financial do, advice on exactly. the show. Exactly. <laughs> So what I so what I would do is basically to save whatever I can save from my from my income from mm-hmm. my I mean 
the gap between my my income and my my expenses, I invest that in the stock market. Mm. And the way I do that is by following the passive index investing, which is pretty much what Sarwa does in their in their uh, portfolios. But right now they also offer a trading platform. So they're, they're, they're giving its customer base the option to invest in ETFs, which is more passive investing, as well as trade equities, which is more active investing. Now, I'm curious, Ellie, when you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and you had that aha moment, is that what you did? You decided to start to either increase your income or reduce your expenses, save money, and then invest it in the stock market? Well, it wasn't after I read Rich Dad Poor Dad because it, it basically uh, uh, triggered some questions in my head, mm-hmm. but uh, I didn't have any clear clear answers for those questions. So mm-hmm. I therefore I started reading some more books, researching online, etc. And I uh, and I basically came across Unshakable by Tony Robbins. I'm not sure if you have mm-hmm. ever. Read I've heard that. of Tony. I've heard of Tony Robbins, but I haven't read that book actually. Uh, it What's was, it about? It's basically about investing in index funds okay and it was basically uh showing how the financial financial industry is pretty much there to get you Mm -hmm. in a sense that uh there's a lot of friction costs when it comes to investing because i mean the average joe doesn't know how to trade so it's about Mm -hmm. true so the core message is like don't try to trade and in in your pajamas and trying to you know uh, buy and sell stocks because yeah, maybe some people might get lucky in this, but it's not like something for the average Joe. So basically, 95% of people are better off investing in an index fund. And maybe we get to explain that in a moment where uh, you pretty much own the entire stock market and which is basically which which basically rises over time. Mm-hmm. So there, in, in a nutshell, you don't have it takes out the guessing work. Should I buy Apple? Should I buy Microsoft? Should I buy Johnson and Johnson and whatnot? So no, you just buy everything in a single basket and then the entire stock market, which is that basket or Mm -hmm. that EDF, if you will, uh, which tracks the index, which is a world index or the S&P and 500. There are thousands of indexes out there. And then this index or this basket will basically appreciate over time. So in addition to buying an index fund or buying into an index fund that um, invests in a variety of companies, now you just mentioned some of the biggest US-based companies. Right. What about considering diversification in geography and cross-industry instead of just the generic fo- Oh no, but you did mention Johnson & Johnson, which I guess is more healthcare than tech. But let's say when it comes to geographic diversity, how does one consider that when going through options of ETFs to invest in? Well, the easiest option of all is basically to buy an index fund which owns everything, which is stocks from tech, um, healthcare, you just name it. So across industry, across geography? Across industries, across geographies, including emerging markets. So that includes pretty much everything. So that, mm. that's, like, that's pretty much like buying the whole world. Interesting. So you don't have to... So that. It, that takes the, the the guesswork completely out of the equation. So you don't have to guess which company will do better than, mm-hmm. than the others or even which industry will do better than, than the others. Now, I'm curious, you mentioned Tony Robbins' book having kind of resonated so much that you decided, okay, now I'm going to invest. But why Tony Robbins? He's not someone that's prominent as 
the sustainable prominence in the financial industry. What was it about his book that really resonated with you? That's a very good question. Well, yes, Tony Robbins is obviously not a financial advisor or financial professional, mm-hmm. but he actually partnered with Peter Malouk, which is uh, which is the CEO and investment, like the chief investment officer for uh, Creative Planning, okay. which is a uh, well-known U.S. company, uh, which which basically invests primarily in index funds. Mm-hmm. So, and before that, Tony had a different, or had, I mean, a few years earlier, he published another book by the name of Money, Master the Game. It's a massive 500 plus pages book. I read that as well, uh, in which he interviewed like 50 of the money titans. So the likes of Warren Buffett and uh, the, the late uh, John C. or Jack Bogle, Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray Dalio, etc. So he he basically interviewed those people that are considered to be like the icons or the the titans of the financial world, and he summarized their message in a in a uh, in an easy to grasp book. Which, okay, did was there a common trend in the messages? Yes, absolutely. So basically, for the average Joe, don't try to outsmart the market just by index funds. Mm-hmm. And let compounding do its magic over time. So that is the core message of uh, of these two books. So question, what makes an average Joe average, let's say? Because someone listening to this may, cons- may kind of listen and think, oh, but I'm not average. I'm, let's say, exceptional in what it is that I do. Just to kind of clarify, are we talking about being... Um, someone that has experience investing or someone who doesn't have experience investing? Well, that's another interesting question because the reality is, and studies, study after study, uh, all the studies have shown that even the professionals have a, a hard time beating the market. So in a sense, if you are average, you are beating pretty much 90 plus percent of, of money professionals. And I'm talking about hedge fund managers, um, uh, you know, uh, fund managers, tra- professional traders—you name it. So mm-hmm. these are—I mean, this is not; these are not opinions. These are studies uh, that shows that basically, uh, if you own the entire market in, the, in an index fund, you are basically going to perform much better than ninety-five or ninety-plus percent, let's say, of of all money professionals. Which for me is. Definitely <laughs> above above average. And investing mm, is okay. pretty much about stacking the odds in your favor. Mm. And that is one heck of a good way of stacking the, the, the odds in your favor. So the people who are able to time the market, do you think it's skill or is it more happens to be luck? Well, I mean, I'm going to quote the uh, the professionals and, and I'm going to quote Jack Bogle here. He said, and I'm probably paraphrasing this, in, in my 50 plus years in the business, I have never seen anyone that can do it. And by do it, I mean timing the market uh, accurately and repetitively. And I haven't even met anyone who met anyone who could do it consistently and reliably. So that mm. means if Jack Bogle is saying this, it means something for us. And by the way, it, it looks very tempting, like beating the market and timing the market and buying at the right time and selling at the, at the right time. But the thing is, nobody actually does it uh, consistently. So yes, you could get lucky once and yeah, well and good, but mm-hmm. you cannot, it's, it's extremely hard to repeat that over, over time. And by the way, to be a successful investor, it's not about making a, a, uh, 
like high returns over a, a, a short period of time, it's more about making good or average returns over a long period of time because this is when uh, compounding runs wild. And this is, this is what people do not really um, do not really realize. Like for example, uh, Warren Buffett has actually made, and again, I'm not exactly sure about the exact mm -hmm. uh, percentages, but I think he made like 90 plus percent of his, of his, uh, of his fortune, of, of his wealth after the age of 60. So it is only because he's been doing this for so like... So it's never maybe, too late. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, it's never too late. Okay. So basically it is uh, at the later years when, when compounding would really work or, or at least start uh, doing its magic. Mm -hmm. Now, Ellie, you mentioned in the beginning of, of the conversation that you're an IT professional by day and Correct. a investing enthusiast on, on, on the side. That's right. But you also have a blog that I believe aims to educate the average Joe about how to invest and investing, and investing philosophies and, and whatnot. Why did you decide to build a blog? Uh, well, basically because I... Now, Several years ago, when I was thinking about my situation, how to improve my situation, and I came across these uh, books about investing in index funds and ETFs and whatnot. But then I figured out that it wasn't quite easy for the average person to, to, uh, to get access to these in index funds. Yes, they are easy for someone who's, who's living in the US or in the, in the West in general, but they were not as... Um, easily reachable for the average, let's say, Muhammad or Sami or whatever in, 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 the, in the Middle East. Why do you think it's not reachable? Is it a language barrier? Because otherwise there are bookshops everywhere, right? And Rich Dad Poor Dad is available everywhere. Right. But, but then again, the message or actually there, there's nothing, there's no specifics in Rich Dad Poor Dad. And, and even if you get, if you get the unshakable book by, by Tony Robbins, yes, you get the message that you need to invest in uh, ETFs or index funds, but how can I access, how, how the average person in the Middle East uh, gets access to these. So more actionable content and actionable information. Correct. Let's say. Correct. And besides, uh, because I felt that the financial industry makes it look so difficult and unattainable to the average person then I that I decided to to create this blog to make things quite easy and uh, let's say uh, within reach to the average person that knows absolutely nothing about mm -hmm. finance and my core message here if I could do it with pretty much zero knowledge about finance then anyone could do it and why did you pick the format of a blog instead of something like let's say an Instagram account where you're posting a tip of the day well, I'm actually starting to get into social media, not mm -hmm. into Instagram just yet, but I started to branch out into social media in the sense that I have a Facebook account, a Facebook page that I'm publishing some mm -hmm. daily tips uh, on. Mm -hmm. uh, the same goes on uh, for, for Twitter and, and, and LinkedIn. Interesting. Have you thought of considering producing content in Arabic? Because you mentioned the average Mohammed and Sami, and maybe the average Mohammed and Sami is more comfortable consuming Arabic media, let's say. Uh, the idea is there. I mm -hmm. mean, I might consider it, but uh, for the time being, I just started with my blog and I would rather focus on one thing at a time. But yeah, obviously I might branch into maybe podcasting and or uh, YouTube or, or video production or video content, let's say. Mm -hmm. Ellie, you're very passionate about finance and investing. In addition to the content that you create to help people manage and manage and grow their own wealth would you ever do this full-time the 
I never thought about that. Uh, maybe at some point, I this could be my thing. Um, for the time being, it's just like a side hustle. I mean, a side hustle is something I'm doing as a on the side. Because uh, for me, I think I kind of found my calling because I want because I th- I saw the difference it it made in my life. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, this discovering financial independence and and whatnot. And I be- I believe this. Um, so I now sort of made it my mission to spread this across in in the Middle East. And it's never too late, as Warren Buffett said. It's never too late. I started in my early 40s and uh, I'm 47, uh, by the way. So yeah, it's, it's never too late because people might think that their investment life, lifetime ends when they stop working or when they so there's retire, no with, basically. Exactly, yeah. when they retire. But even when you retire, you don't withdraw your, your money because the minute you, with, you withdraw your money from, uh, from, from the market, it starts getting uh, eaten up by, by inflation. inflation. Yes, totally. of course. And you so, lose out on the interest that it could accrue. Exactly. So therefore, the way it works is like you keep the money invested for as long as you live. And basically, you just withdraw a small percentage of that, uh, of that uh, invested money to live on uh, for your, I mean, just to cover your, your, your expenses. And w- without getting into specifics, it's like roughly withdrawing 4% per year adjust for inflation. I mean, that's, uh, we're not going to make it too complicated for now, but let's say that you withdraw a small portion of the money each year. Uh, that will allow you to, uh, to basically cover your, your, your living expenses. And the rest of the money remains invested for as long as you pretty much uh, live. Now, given that inflation is, the higher, is at the highest rates it's been in a very, very long time, what practical advice would you give to people who are in this position but are trying to adjust for this ever-increasing inflation rate? Well, I will have to quote again uh, Jack Bogle, uh, he says, or he used to say, stay the course because inflation is going to go up and down. Interest rates are going to go up and down. The market is going to go up and down. But if you stick to your, uh, to your financial, uh, let's say to your portfolio or asset allocation, which is the, the proportion of, let's say, stocks, bonds and, and or other assets. If you stick to that uh, in thick and thin, you are so most probably you're going to do just fine. So don't worry about the market fluctuations. Don't worry about the interest rate. Don't worry about inflation because historically these have, I mean, these went up and down at pretty much all the time. And uh, if you stay the course, basically you're, you're come up uh, quite victorious, if you will. Very actionable. Eli, thank you very much. Thank you for coming on the show. It was thank absolutely you. wonderful having you on. Thank you. Great. It was my pleasure. My Sedwa story is brought to you by Sedwa. Visit sedwa.co and download our app to invest or trade today. The views expressed by our guests are their own and not part of Sedwa. Sedwa is regulated by the ADGM Financial Services Regulatory Authority, FSRA, and DFSA. All examples are for illustrative purposes only and are not intended as one-on-one financial advice. Please keep in mind that past performance is no guarantee of future results. Additionally, investors are encouraged to do their own research and due diligence. All investing involves risk.